So this is a movie that you guys will like. I thought it was okay. Oh baby, that was good. I am stupid. I like to cook slop. You want to top that slop? Thought we were gonna have fun here. Yes, queen. Down with guilty pleasures, up with pleasure pleasures. Did we talk you into? Thank you for listening to Talk Me Into, the podcast where a group of friends tries to talk each other, and maybe even you, into liking what we like. This episode, it's Babylon 5, featuring special guest Justin Bolger. My name is Dan, and I have a new water bottle. My name is Jeff, and I once wrote a song for a girl called Hot Dogs and Ice Cream because I was a little punk rock boy and she was a preppy girl, and we mixed like hot dogs and ice cream. I was the hot dog and she was the ice cream, I guess. Get it, guys? I was 14. (laughs) My name is Jimmy, and I once got a phone call home from my first grade teacher because I sang Sweet Home Chicago in front of my class. Is that a real song? Yeah. yeah, Blues Brothers, man. Oh, come on, Jeff. Where you? I been thought you were life? like making a. I little... mean, it's not originally by the Blues Weird. Brothers, so but... it's no hot dogs and ice cream. But... No, it's no hot dogs and ice cream. But um, yeah, it was cute. I remember coming home and there was a voicemail on my uh, on when voicemails were a thing. Yeah, and uh, my mom was very excited. So, guys, well, well, you don't remember when there were answering machines and you had to race home to erase a message saying that you did something <laughs> bad from a teacher. Oh, yeah, that's true. I don't really remember that time period either, but I do remember the plot of a Seinfeld episode that was very similar to that. (laughs) I definitely got rid of progress reports because those were not good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I remember my mom being like, didn't you get your progress report? And I was like, no, for some reason, we just didn't get them this semester. (laughs) They forgot. (laughs) And I definitely got in trouble by my uh, sixth grade art teacher for singing the Pokemon theme song with my friend Keith nonstop. We got sent to iss wow we're actually recording today on the 25th anniversary of pokemon so that's pretty cool i wow. mean this is gonna be way out there congratulations but... jimmy yeah i feel <laughs> like you're somehow connected to that <laughs> i am i had the first game i'm currently looking at a stack of pokemon games that are just oh man that game. means i was in sixth grade 25 years ago nice Ooh, wow feels bad man you old bitch <laughs> so fellas The next segment is where we would typically talk ourselves into something. But as we've done occasionally in the past, when we have a special guest, as we do today, we devote the next segment to getting to know a little bit more about them. So when we come back, we're going to have Justin Bolger, who is a very accomplished social media and marketing person. And uh, we'll tell you more about some of his credits right now. Welcome back to Talk Me Into. We are joined today by a very special guest, Justin Bolger, who is the Senior Global Brand Manager for the Asmodee Great Group, which is, uh, as you know, some very fun board games. And Justin, you've also worked um, in the social media team, uh, marketing team at Star Wars, Lucasfilm, I believe. Um, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, we're not all uh, jealous of your uh, your past jobs. So, <laughs> no, we're, we're not going to be uh, 
uh, super, you know, negative about or whatever. Jimmy, are, do, be you mean, do you mean to tell me that procuring groceries isn't as fun as working for Lucasfilm? I really can't complain because I literally do watch TV for a living. So, I mean, like, but, you know, I mean, it's Star Wars, man. So jealous of that. Yeah, and, but it's uh, it's I'm pretty sure comparable. Awesome. There, there are lots of times that you watch TV shows or movies for that job. So, I mean, you're, <laughs> you're more than halfway there and having yeah. just as much fun. Yeah, it, I'll get there someday. So, J- Justin, I wanted to go back to um, how I first started listening to you and reading your content online, which was actually through the Force Cast. I was literally oh, wow. brand new. Yeah, I was brand new to checking out podcasts, and I was like, I like Star Wars. What Star Wars podcasts are there? And uh, I saw a lot of good reviews about the Force Cast, and I started listening to, it, and I really enjoyed your work on there. So, what, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with? podcasting in general and specifically the force cast sure and uh thank you 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 are already taking me back um <laughs> so i uh, i started out i guess my my story begins in charleston south carolina where <laughs> i lived um what is it 20 oh, a, a little over 10 years ago now um been a nerd forever and watchmen was coming out in like 2009 huge fan of that book um and Spike TV aired some award ceremony where Comic-Con, I guess, had bought a sponsorship. And I had never considered actually going to San Diego Comic-Con. And um, something about seeing it then, I was like, ah, right place, right time. I can go do that. Um, so I took a trip out there. And the thing that you hear at, at all cons, but at Comic-Con for the first time for me that day or that uh, that year was last year I was in the audience. I was, you know, just a fan, quote unquote. And <laughs> now I'm up on stage and I get to write Batman for a living or, you know, whatever else some nerd who had a really cool nerd job was doing. And I, I took that to heart and thought, well, I mean, I'm not incredibly stupid. And <laughs> if if there are multiple people up on stage essentially saying that you you can too, why would I not believe that? And so... Um, I started looking into moving out to California. I worked for a company at the time that had a lot of different locations around. And so the option to transfer out to uh, Irvine, California came up, which is right between L.A. and San Diego. It didn't seem like a bad place to go. Moved out there, um, met more like minded people, including a really good friend of mine, uh, Sean Gerber, who ran at that time a podcast called Modern Myth Media. And um, we geeked out all the time at work. He invited me on his podcast. That was the first time I'd ever done that. Um, I was invited back and then became somebody who was part of that podcast crew. Eventually started my own podcast about The Walking Dead um, and realized that, you know, Star Wars is and has always been one of my two first loves, the other being Star Trek, because both of those can coexist at the same time. Yes. You know, when I was, when I yes. was younger, I didn't believe that. I was like, it's Star Wars or get out. <laughs> and then when I started to like Star Trek later, I was like, oh, man, I missed out on a lot of good stuff. <laughs> right. Both of them are, are very uh, heart and head. But I like to say that Star Wars would be heart and Star Trek would be more head for me. So, yeah, the, for sure. The two together, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I am now Voltron. Um, <laughs> so uh, did that podcast for a little while. And actually, I think the forest.net had at some point reached uh, out to everyone via the website and said, hey, we're looking for writers or reviewers. And since I had been doing that for Modern Myth Media as well, I reached out. Um, got an email from Eric Geller, who has gone on to a ton of success at Politico and, you know, being an actual reporter in the real world respect. Hmm. 
Um, and so he got me onto the force.net to do some comic book reviews. I started interviewing, um, artists and writers for comics. And then that eventually took me into books doing the same thing. And it led to a guest stint on the force cast, uh, which obviously, and I, I appreciate your listenership was, yeah. was created by people long before I got there, um, who had kept it running for a lot longer, even after I left. So, uh, it was fun, and I, after that, I started my own podcast, Star Wars with Friends. Uh, we set out to do commentary tracks for all of Star Wars leading up to The Force Awakens, um, but as luck would have it, Lucasfilm was hiring for a social media strategist, and I applied, and I was super fortunate enough to get the job, and if you are working at Lucasfilm on Star Wars, it seems kind of disingenuous to have a, a personal podcast about Star Wars, so, <laughs> um, so I had to stop. But I yeah. miss podcasting a lot, and um, I'm happy to be on yours. Well, oh, thank you. We're very happy to have you. I mean, I think I speak for for all the guys that um, you know. We admire what you've been able to do all the all these years with uh, just writing and podcasting, and you're sort of you know you talked about Eric Geller, who has gone on to success as a as a quote unquote real journalist, but by building this brand, this Justin Bulger, the Apex fan. It sort of has become synonymous with like good opinions and my, in my, you know, in my opinion that when you've released content under that name, I can look forward to finding out new things about, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, comic books. And so for me, it seems like a shoe in that you went to Lucasfilm and, and put those skills to work in their social media department. And now you're working for Asmodee, um, which is a company I'm not super familiar with. I, I know uh, Settlers of Catan, mm -hmm. but I guess they have other like Star Wars and Marvel games. So how did you get into um, working with them? Yeah, I have to correct you, not because I'm being a jerk, but if anyone at work hears this and I don't, <laughs> then the next time, if I'm ever coming back on your podcast, you'll be like, and Justin, now you're a bum on the street. Can you tell us how you got there? <laughs> um, but I mispronounced something. It's it's a French, it's French, so it's Asmo oh. Day, or at least that's oh. how all of, all of us Americans say it. Um, I should have predicted that because I noticed the, the website is like us.asmoday. Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, so Asmodee uh, is the company that owns several gaming studios, tabletop board game studios, collectible card games, uh, miniatures games, that kind of stuff. Hmm. So uh, I went over there to be the director of uh, marketing for their Star Wars minis lines and shameless plug for a great company. If you haven't played one of these Star Wars games, they really are a lot of fun. And there is one for everybody, no matter what flavor of fan you are. Um, they've got X-Wing, which is a miniatures game that you play with, uh, like snub fighters, essentially X-Wings, TIE fighters, uh, ships of that level. Uh, they've got Star Wars Legion, which is a ground-based combat game where you paint miniatures after you've assembled them and can strategically Ooh. deploy them across a battlefield. It's, it's awesome and good gods, the fidelity to the Star Wars galaxy that everybody at those companies puts into the product is astounding. Um, yeah, so and then finally, pre, I'm oh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say pre pandemic, I was going to a local game shop to play magic uh, a couple times a week. Yeah. And, and they were like, they're, they're heavy on board games and other tabletop games too. And a few years ago, there was a new star Wars Legion expansion that came out. I believe it was star Wars Legion and it was very popular and it looked very cool. Um, 
<laughs> that kind of gaming I never got into, but it's always something on the periphery that I'm like, oh man, if if I wasn't spending all my money on Magic, then I would definitely play this. No, I was I, literally I, going to say that like this sounds like way up Jeff's alley. Like he's <laughs> all into like this collectible stuff. Oh, dude, some of the people at that game shop like they'll bring in like ten different uh, like hardware toolboxes that are like specially designed for their minis yep. and it's it's pretty dope the uh the other part that honestly has astounded me since i've picked the games up is gaming is to my in my opinion just kind of the entry point to it but once you sit down and start playing it it really does become kind of a storytelling experience you have yeah all of the 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 features of your setting, the Star Wars galaxy, and all of it, as I said earlier, is really faithful to to the saga. And it's up to you to kind of put yourself in these positions and figure out how would you deploy your troops, where would you pilot your X-wing or Tie fighter if you're you know a smarter person. Um, <laughs> but it, it puts you in a in a really cool place where you're having a lot of fun and you're playing, but you you almost don't realize you're playing in, until you catch yourself making a tie fighter sound as you're flying it around the table um which i i have always done um but yeah it's a it's a great company i'm i'm really privileged to work with a lot of uh really cool brands you brought up Catan. um the marvel crisis protocol game from atomic mass games is really good it's it sounds like a, like 30 seconds of nothing but shameless plugging but seriously and even especially in the current uh, circumstances that everybody finds themselves in if you were looking to pick up a game of some kind you've never had a better opportunity and you know there there is a game for you out there call yeah, us I mean, 1-800-876 <laughs> no i fully agree with you i mean to me it doesn't sound like a shameless plug it sounds like someone who like you said grew up into nerdy stuff and now gets to walk the halls of nerdy places and just live out those fantasies and uh we've got a lot to talk about in the next segment about babylon 5 but before we move on i just have to put forward you know i don't know if the listeners know this but you are a self-described imp you're an imperial <laughs> loyalist. <laughs> and I have to ask, uh, as you go into these work environments that I'm sure are predominantly, you know, dominated by light side force wielders and, uh, you know, uh, Marvel Avengers fans, how how are you navigating in these halls as an imperial loyalist? Is there is there a sub subcult within these uh lucasfilm and gaming halls and comic cons that supports the empire as much as you do do you have likewise allies <laughs> there 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 are dozens of us i'm kidding there are there are many more than that um you know the people on there are a lot of people who support the empire i will say that for myself um i support the the structure of the galactic empire in the star wars <laughs> galaxy as we know it that is that is very different than advocating blowing up people's planets left and right that's not what i'm about but and to be as serious as you can possibly be about a fictional setting for a minute um if you live in the star wars galaxy right it's a scary 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 place you have all sorts of creatures that are just looking to grab you and eat you you can be sold into slavery to the huts and who knows what happens when that when that i mean we've all seen ula with you know if jabba pulls you toward him and you say no he's gonna send you down to the rancor pit the star wars galaxy is a scary place and if the quote-unquote good guys of star wars had been shown in these sagas so far though side note the high republic uh series out right now is doing a pretty good job of showing the republic when it actually works 
But up until, you know, a couple of months ago, we'd only seen a republic that usually fails its citizens. And I'm not really about that. I think you have an obligation to protect people. And if, you know, you're just going to everyone just be good, but you don't have any way of enforcing that in a place that is shown to have a lot of people who will not be good, then you need something like the Empire. Uh, The last thing I will say about that is that if you watch the Star Wars movies, the Empire as an organization is, aside from a few places, and I'm only throwing that out as a caveat, not necessarily shown to be inherently evil. Where you where it goes wrong is there are a lot of really bad actors in the Empire who use their power in the Empire to do the wrong thing, i.e. Tarkin, Vader. But I would point to the character of Ray Sloan, and now we're getting super Star Wars nerdy. I'd point to the character <laughs> <Let's> go there <laughs> of Ray Sloan as a great example of the kind of Imperial I am. I'm not looking okay. to subjugate people. I just want everyone to essentially be safe. So and basically, if, you're advocating that the Empire got the trains to run on time. Uh, I would never in a million years <laughs> use that quote to describe anything. <laughs> Well, I appreciate uh, that you're willing to at least stand up and defend your beliefs and you don't just, you know, shirk in the face of imperialist questioning. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I didn't expect that. (laughs) Well, I've done my research. And uh, apparently when we come back, we're going to get into what you want to talk us into this week, which is Babylon 5. Yes, very excited about this. I don't know that I've ever spoken on a podcast about Babylon 5. Occasional Twitter rants, but that's it. I mean, we've been doing that for two years, talking about things we've never (laughs) talked about in public, making ourselves look like fools, but it's fun. No, that's a great premise. I love this show. Thank you. Thanks. Dokey fellas, Dan, did I did I do you uh, did I do your phrase? I mean, I like the, just the straightforward okay fellas, but okay, if you fellas? want to throw a dokey in there, you know, keep it yeah. keep it folksy. Yeah, okie dokey fellas, I'm sticking with it. Uh, okay, you gotta yeah, make so it relatable. Yeah. yeah, so we are back. We just introduced uh, Justin to our our vast audience of <laughs> listeners, and uh, he's he's gonna now tell us. You know, the thing that we usually tell everybody in this segment, um, what got him into Babylon 5, why he likes it, why he thinks that we'll like it. And, you know, we're just going to have a conversation about it. It doesn't have to have much structure. So we'll just kind of flow back and forth. Uh, And I'm pretty excited, too, because Babylon 5 is a show I've always wanted to watch, but never got into. So, Justin, what is your introduction to this show? Well, my first introduction to this show uh, came when I was... 1992, ah, about 10 or 11. Um, I was a, I was a small child in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. And, um, in the winter, I believe it was of 1990. No, it wasn't 1992. It might've been anyway. Uh, one day, uh, this new show called Babylon five was, uh, advertised on television during the Star Trek time of TV and being a kid and liking sci-fi and spaceships. I was like, oh, that looks really cool. Let me go ahead and watch it. I watched the pilot and I thought it was one of the most boring things I'd ever seen in my entire life. And so <laughs> just it's like, yeah, I'm good. It's a cool premise, but I'm, I'm not really going to watch it. But sometimes you're bored and you pick up an episode here or there over, um, what is it, 92? So over basically five years. Um, 
The other thing that I want to stop and make sure that everyone knows about me is I have a history of absolutely hating things sometimes when I see them and then somehow falling back <laughs> into them and thinking that they are the absolute best things ever. That's what mm. happened with this show. So <laughs> over the next five years, uh, saw some episodes here and there, and it was weird. I, it was it seemed to only happen with a lot of the big tentpole ones from the first three years. Um, and at the end of season four of Babylon 5, they signed a deal with TNT to produce their fifth season. So this show was essentially built as a novel for television. It was always designed to be five seasons long, have a beginning, middle, and end. All the characters have a journey that they go on. It's everything essentially on this show is for something. Nothing is, is an accident to the okay. point that the creator, J. Michael Straczynski, even built in very famously, quote unquote, trap doors for every single character on this show. So mm -hmm. if an actor, um, you know, unfortunately passed away or decided I'm not getting enough money and I'm going to leave, there was a pre-designed way to get them off of the show and then either have a fill-in character or have other ways of resolving those storylines to keep, um, as somebody once described, the trains running on time. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the fourth, the first four seasons were all done in syndication through, um, an entity called the prime time entertainment network. And when that went kaput, um, TNT stepped in at the last minute and essentially bought Babylon five for, for TNT. They were going to produce a fifth season. And along this fifth season, they were going to produce five made for TV movies, um, and a Babylon five sequel show. So the, so where did it air the first four seasons? What channel? It aired in syndication. So the primetime huh. entertainment network was like the syndicated vehicle. And so the way I remember mm -hmm. it is like Friday nights at 10, which is a great time slot for sci-fi shows. Um, <laughs> they would, uh, they would, they would essentially take over the TV for the next hour to two hours and okay. run their block of programming. Um, so it was like Babylon five, some other random sci-fi show. Um, and I think there were three of them, but when, when primetime entertainment network went away, TNT stepped in Babylon Got five it. moved over <laughs> there. Um, and they had like this huge marketing blitz where Babylon five was everywhere on TNT for a little while. Um, and so they started this off with a made for TV prequel movie called in the beginning. Um, that was where I actually started to watch. So, mm -hmm. you know, they, they tell you the story of the war that precedes the beginning of the show. And then after that TNT that, that aired on a Sunday and then the next day, TNT began to run uh, episodes of Babylon 5 from the beginning um, every day at 4 p.m. Because I remember because I needed cool. to be home from school. Yeah. Um, and so this this way allowed me to binge a show that I had missed out on for um, almost five years at that point. And I didn't know because I'd liked in the beginning so much. It just seemed so story rich and the characters were really cool. I was really surprised at, at the depth and the and the cool factor of Babylon 5 then. And then uh, I guess I can watch a couple of episodes in the afternoon. I had no idea that the story was just that rich and that structured as that novel for television. And in a time before Netflix or streaming services, you know, you get to watch one episode of a story a day. That's a really quick way of getting you addicted and invested in stuff. It was almost like watching a space soap opera um, every day after school. And with four seasons, that was essentially four seasons in about 25, 26 episodes a season. That meant that essentially in four months after school, I could watch this whole show simultaneously. Season five was airing like Wednesday nights at 10. 
Um, and so I don't know why I even did it this way, but I started watching season five alongside every week alongside the you ones. were a kid and <laughs> right? we only had VHS tapes back then. There was yeah. no way to watch this stuff when you wanted. <laughs> I was actually talking with a friend of mine the other day, and apparently they were releasing Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z at the same time. Which, like, makes no sense. I don't know if you have any exposure to the Dragon Ball series, but, like, Dragon Ball takes place when he's a kid and Dragon Ball Z takes place when, like, he's an adult. And it's like you're watching them, like, concurrently, but they make no sense together. It was Mm -hmm. very strange. The 90s were weird, man. (laughs) They really were. Um, I kind of wish we had a little bit of that weirdness back now. Everything is so cookie cutter as far as who released exactly who releases what and when. And a lot of things always look alike or a lot of things look alike right now. Yeah, I've never heard of a show like being premiered like syndicated like that. That's really weird. Yeah, it's. It, I thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, Justin, that's, that's how I got into Babylon Five. So when you talk to people like us who have never seen it, and you, you know you're being spoiler free, I'm, I'm imagining you've talked to your friends about Babylon Five. What's the What's the elevator pitch? What do you say? Like, here's why you should like Babylon Five. Uh. Star Trek plus Lord of the Rings equals Babylon Five. Wow, that's a that's a pretty bold pitch. <laughs> <laughs> well, the show is that good, as I'm hoping as I'm hoping you all find out. Um, yeah, it's, it was just it had everything that we're gonna. This is gonna sound so cheesy. It had everything that I both wanted at the time, and it had all of those things that like a a high school student coming out of oh i just watched star trek and i like star wars and comics a lot into (laughs) being a little bit more of a fan who not just kind of (laughs) eats the content but really stops to think about the content a little bit more and it's one of those shows that instills values in you or gets you to think about things as it goes along to where even now actually especially now um with current events and and the real world i i see some parallels that i don't always talk about because it's not going to be the most popular thing to do um but it to me just says how well the show you know was constructed and and how truthful it is at its core and that's why it holds up to me well, that to me makes for a good science fiction show, because I think that I mean, we see that a lot in fandom if you're talking about like political differences and stuff. And we don't have to get mm-hmm. into it, but I'm a I'm a big fan of Doctor Who. And, yes. Uh, and lately there's been a lot of, you know, uh, alternate opinions that are pretty, pretty bad. Um but it, it's a thing where like science fiction is supposed to be political and supposed to make you think and touches on social issues. Right, I think that provoking. If, yeah, if if science fiction doesn't do that, then it's just a space story, and it it, right. it doesn't do much for me other than like you know watching lasers. <laughs> yeah, and I, like, I, I agree completely. How many lasers can you watch fired from a spaceship and and? Still I mean, a lot, a lot. I can watch <laughs> a lot of lasers, but but you know I. I, I so what I'm saying is I, I like that pitch. So before we move on to the episodes you picked, uh, Dan, what is your exposure to Babylon 5? Um, zero. I I actually recognize the like DVD art because um, my uncle, who is, as you guys know, passed away earlier this year, he bequeathed me his uh, DVD collection, which is pretty vast. And so I actually have uh, all of Babylon 5. I haven't watched any of it, but I have the DVDs and I recognize, you know, some of the characters like the guy with the weird fan of hair in a halo <laughs> over his head. Uh, 
yeah so uh that's basically it for me just seeing the artwork i've never watched one episode uh, and Jimmy, what about what about you yeah um i i knew the name um i i didn't know uh j michael straczynski was a uh, part of it i know him from like marvel books and stuff um but um, I asked my dad about it because he was a big Trek fan, like especially in the 90s and stuff. He says, I was interested in it, but it was too artsy for me. <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, I don't really have um, any exposure other than the name. And um, I think I know that it ha- I think the Babylon 5 is like a ship and stuff. How about and, you, uh, Jeff? I remember it being on, but not watching it. And then when I got into comics in the early 2000s and I was reading a lot of J. Michael Straczynski, I heard that this was his show. Mm -hmm. And like, if you look at the episodes he wrote, he wrote like everything but like three episodes or something very insane. He's like Rod Serling to Twilight Zone. He wrote a lot of it. So I was interested in it. And that's when Netflix, when I first got my Netflix DVD subscription and me and this guy at work, we both did the three discs at a time. So first we got Star Trek, the next generation, we alternated the discs and we got them and burned them and burned copies for each other. (laughs) And we did the same with Babylon five. So I have a stack of the DVDs and I don't remember ever watching them. Um, I I would just like to DVDs anymore. I would just like to take this time to say that talk me into productions does not condone the pirating. (laughs) this is like 15 years ago i was like 20 or so uh i don't i don't pirate anymore that's i i make enough money to buy services and that was back when you were a young whippersnapper punk rock teenager oh i was all about anarchy and abolishing the system and pirating dvds from netflix um so so yeah this is always something that i've wanted to watch but i don't know much about and don't ever remember watching an episode like like Dan said. I recognize the characters and the aesthetic just from it being on uh, and around me and being a sci-fi nerd. Yeah, Dan. If I if I could really quickly, one, yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your uncle's passing. Thank um, you. But two, the the gesture of bequeathing his DVD collection to you that really hits a nerve with me. I mm. I firmly believe that stories are incredibly important. And the people who you decide to give the stories that you enjoyed to after you're gone, that just seems like a huge thing. That's I find that to be really cool and incredibly touching. Yeah, we had a cool bonding over movies and and DVDs and stuff. He he went into a nursing home a few years back and uh, I had he he used to live in the same house that I live in now and he left all his DVDs here. And basically I became his video store. So uh, uh, once a week. Once a week, I'd get a call from my uncle Blaine, and he'd say, "Can you bring me up these movies?" And then, and then throw in a couple more that you pick. So I would go through his collection and pull out the movies he requested, and a couple more. And I'd take him up to the nursing home, and I'd bring back the ones that he had last week. And that was sort of our thing. And before he passed away, he was like, "When he's like, when I'm gone, those are yours now." So yeah, it's been cool. Anything that I had duplicates of, I've donated to the local library, and it's just a cool thing. When I look through my DVD collection, I see that and think of him. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing I have to say is directed towards you, Jeff. I used to wonder in the 90s when I would stick a DVD in and couldn't skip past that weird, like, extreme, don't burn this DVD or um, pirate it's a crime. It. Yeah, you wouldn't pirate now I know car. who it was for. Yeah, I, I, Jeff. I knew a guy who was like a cousin of a friend of a friend who would burn dvds i actually got a copy of uh i got a copy of the episode three screener when that leaked um but he would purposely put that warning before all the dvds that he ripped and sold and it was very funny um 
yeah. by the way, Jeff, Justin is going to be contacting some of his old coworkers <laughs> and letting them know about that episode three detail. I'm pretty it's sure I saw 2005. that too. Holy crap. I mean, like, yeah, like I saw it eight times in theaters, but I probably watched it like 20 times on that like aspect ratio deformed copy. Jeff strategically but, mentions that after the statute of limitations has expired. Yeah, yeah I, I only talk about my crimes 15 years later. Um, <laughs> So, Justin, you picked three episodes for us to watch of Babylon 5. Do you want to give us a quick breakdown before we get into it? Um, what episodes you picked and why? Uh, yeah. So the three episodes I selected were selected because Babylon 5, as I said, is an incredibly rich and detailed story where everything has a purpose. Nothing, at least story wise, nothing is by accident. Um and things you see in the very first episode sometimes aren't even paid off until like year five of the show. And mm -hmm. so the three episodes I selected are from the first three seasons and represent um, kind of an arc where the character. It, basically, let me start that again. The three episodes I selected represent um, a portion of the larger arc where Babylon 5's relationship with Earth is called into question. And as Babylon 5 is mm -hmm. an Earth space station, you can see how that would be right for a lot of uh, good story possibilities. Um, the first episode is the very first episode, Midnight on the Firing Line, um, from season one. Obviously, if it's the first episode, that was really silly to say. Um, <laughs> the second episode is the season finale of season two, which both progresses um, this Earth storyline and touches very heavily on the relationship between two of the major species on the show and two of the major characters, um, two of the best characters, in my opinion, Londo and Jakar and their, their species, the Centauri and the Narn. And then finally, um, essentially, like the... I'm not going to say that word because that may that might be a little too spoilerific, but another episode that that touches on all of those same relationships um, that is one of my absolute favorites. I think any Babylon 5 fan would tell you that um, the third one, which is Severed Dreams, is one of the, the show's best. And I, I figured if I was going to hook you guys, I wanted to do it with three episodes from the first half of the show and nothing from the second half of the show so that there are still mysteries that you don't know about or, or characters you haven't seen or um, revelations that are still yet to come. See, Very I like cool. this guy because he he gets our show. Like he wants to <laughs> he wants to hook us. He gets our format. And I really appreciate that. that I'm really excited to watch these, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so when we come back, we're going to be talking in spoilerific nature about Season 1, Episode... Well, according to HBO Max, it's Season 1, Episode 2, Midnight on the Firing Line. Season 2, Episode 22, The Fall of Night. And Season 3, Episode 2, Severed Dreams. And again, spoilers ahead. May I say one more thing? Yes. Because of how Babylon 5 again was structured, definitely spoilers, but I would define them more as micro spoilers versus macro okay. spoilers. There, you know, like there's a difference. Micro spoilers, I know the Titanic sinks. If I go see the movie, I can expect that. And I'm right. not surprised, <laughs> but it doesn't hurt my enjoyment of the film because they're, um, they're macro spoilers that really deliver the gut punches and, and the truth of whatever the piece is. So Good point. So even if you're cool. not a huge fan of Babylon 5, you can still enjoy the next segment and feel like you're not going to have destroyed the series for yourself. Exactly. Yeah, you're not going to know that Rose never lets go. So we'll <laughs> Oh no, Jim, I was going to watch that next week for the first time. You just ruined it for me. What do you mean it sinks, Justin? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say that, you know, she had the necklace the whole time. Oh no. Oops. Oh. 
adjust it. I quit. <laughs>we have watched three episodes of babylon 5 that our uh, very esteemed guest justin bolger had uh asked us to watch and um boy am i excited to talk about them with my, real, my real two quick. best friends yeah just some some inside baseball um there was some confusion as dan mentioned as to the numbering uh system on hbo max so when justin gave a season one episode one uh, i know that jimmy and i thought that included the gathering so i'm so sorry <laughs> I, I did watch that and we're yeah, not going to so talk about I. that episode oh, but no. <laughs> i i think that it was a good thing we watched it first and i'll tell you why when we get there but i just i just want to throw it out there i, I did watch four episodes Yes, so did I. Um, well, I think yeah, s- I starting with Midnight on the Firing Line um, yes. was cool. I, I did watch part of The Gathering, and it was nice to see that although The Gathering set some of the world building, I don't think it was super necessary. Um, we hear pretty early on that it's the year 2258. Um, we learn that the Babylon 5 is the last of these five um, space stations that are sort of the last chance for peace in the galaxy and there there are these sort of open port of calls where uh anyone any species can come and you know trade and create business deals and gather without fear of reprisal so i thought that was i thought they did a good job of setting up what you need to know even if you hadn't seen the gathering yeah, and this this show really just throws you in, right? It's it's unlike any other show um like this where even if they throw you into like the action, they still set it up like Battlestar Galactic you're thrown right into this like, you know, the middle of like this huge war and and all this stuff, but they still kind of tell you what's going on. This doesn't at first and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that they did do a good job at that because it it feels it feels like you're thrown in something that's been happening, but also so it it, but it feels familiar. Does that make sense? Yeah, that that actually makes an an incredible amount of sense. And I love that you picked up on that. Two things. One, um, and I I hope you guys noticed this or felt this rather as you watched the three episodes. The opening narration on this show is fantastic at establishing exactly what the show is, exactly what the premise of the show is. And then they can uh, better launch you right into the action. I think I I was Mm -hmm. struck when I watched um, Midnight on the Firing Line again, just by how effective that opening narration was. (laughs) I agree. It yeah. sort of tonally reminds me of Space, the final frontier. Right. But I think it does a better job of establishing facts rather than just tone and mood, which is something that... Without you know, being an info dump. Like, info right, dumps right. are... They're needed sometimes, but they can be done very poorly. And mm-hmm. that's not the case here. Yeah, it, think- actually, it actually worked really well, too, because uh, like Jeff and I were talking about, we watched uh, The Gathering... And um, at, at the end of that, I was like, I have no idea, like, what this ship is for. I don't know what they're doing. But then, like, the beginning of the next episode, they, like, explained it all in the very beginning. And I was like, oh, OK, that's all I needed to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was very nice to have. So uh, I definitely appreciated it. 
Like yeah, I said, I, I watched The Gathering as a kid, and I didn't pick this show back up again for five years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dan, funny funny little story. Uh, Dan was like, yeah, Justin picked Babylon 5 because he's into it, and it's just remastered for HBO Max. And I had only watched The Gathering at this point, and I was like, oh, no, this is remastered? This is going to suck. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it does not look good. <laughs> But uh, I think to Jeff's point of throwing us in sort of in the deep end, I, I think they do a really good job of writing dialogue in this show to convey the larger world we're in. Um, specifically, what I'm citing is the conversations with with Londo, who is the the cent- Centaurian ambassador. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You get basically that they're sort of this once great civilization that is now past its prime and he seems to be uh sort of i I don't want to say he's in a slump but he's sort of reveling in lifestyle aboard this babylon 5 station uh we see him like hanging out in the casino drinking sort of talking about the grand old days of his empire and stuff like that we also get what the plot of this episode the the a storyline is is that there's been um a Narn attack on the Centauri colony, and and if I'm understanding correctly, the the recent history is that the Narn were subjugated by the Centauri and have sort of overthrown those shackles and declared their independence, and now they've gone so far as to attack this. Um, Centauri outpost, this agricultural base, Ragesh Three, um, which is. It's not as well protected, and the Narn are claiming that it's actually, you know, a world that is part of their original empire, so they're just reclaiming it. What did you guys think of how this was introduced, um, again, with not a lot of backstory, but primarily through dialogue between characters? Yeah, I, I, not, I'm going to try not to go back to the gathering a lot, but the, <laughs> the one standout thing in that episode was uh, it was like this speech kind of in the casino between Londo and I believe Garibaldi, where <laughs> Londo, um, he was talking about the Centauri Empire being reduced to selling trinkets to Taurus on Babylon 5. So it has exactly what Dan touched on. But the, they continue to do that throughout this series by the dialogue. Like there is action in Babylon 5, but it does take place on, you know, a space station granted it's five miles long but it's still a space station so a lot of the history we learn is through dialogue and i think they did do a good job between londo between jakar representing the centauri and the narn and it shows you that there's no good guys and there's no bad guys right in in Mm. any kind of dispute right because from both of their perspectives the other guy is the bad guy and like they're the good guy right so Mm. jakar is saying that well i don't really i don't know about this attack i had nothing to do with it but i don't really care because of what you guys used to do to us i'll be happy when you're all gone um so i i think that it it's really good and it puts into perspective a lot of things that i think people in the real world can use like when when people are thinking about their their enemies especially in a time of war um they forget that those people feel the exact same way about them no matter who the uh the instigator is and that going back to what we said in the first segment like that's what i like about science fiction it it the, the, I mean, Jakar is wearing full prosthetics. Londo with the good hair looks like a big old goofball. Um, <laughs> so, like, it, yeah, it's silly, but like, replace those two people with any two countries on this planet, and 
it makes sense. Yeah, I, I totally get. Uh, I I definitely agree with you saying that like there doesn't really feel like a good side or a bad side. I mean, obviously the big thing to compare this with is Star Trek, and with Star Trek you have the prime directive of like you don't want to interfere with anything, and like um, it, it's very. Uh, it feels a lot like Star Trek, like tonally, um, but it, it it also doesn't in the fact that like literally just like anything could happen. Like spoiler for later, but like they can just like declare independence and stuff. And it's like, who's right here? Like uh, you're yeah. you're kind of like questioning the morals of different people. Yeah, but, and like but they take it a step further because with Star Trek, as the right. audience, you side with the Federation usually. Right. You know, there's exactly. times when you don't. But here. Who do you side with? Because we don't know. We're just jumping into this episode one. Are the Narn bad? Are the Centauri bad? Who's exactly. good? Who's right? Who started it? Whose fault is it? We don't know. So, and plus they make the characters likable, even though like, you know, Lando is kind of just like a sassy Romanian vampire kind of guy. Um, <laughs> but like, he's still entertaining. Like when he's on screen, he's, you know, he's oh, yeah. I pretty mean, good. I think uh, we could talk about acting and performance in this show because I think yeah. it's a little hit or miss. But I will say that uh, the actor uh, who portrays Londo, I loved I loved a lot of what he did in all these episodes, but especially like some of the sort of tantrums that he throws in this episode are really good. He he chews up every scene. He's He's just <clears throat> very watchable and likable. Which is interesting for a character that is morally ambiguous. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I didn't love uh, the captain who's uh, Commander Sinclair, who I believe mm-hmm. is a holdover from The Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a little flat to me, reminded me of sort of, um, it's an interesting allegory, but the pilot episode of Star Trek, I forget what it was called, but where they had a different caption. Yeah, the cage. He just wasn't Kirk. He 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 wasn't. Um, I don't know. He didn't have the swagger that I'm looking for in a captain. I totally. I, I agree gotta. With that. I gotta jump in. I love. I you. Ah, you guys are falling into every trap that I placed for you with this show. I, <laughs> I love that. Um, there. I will tell you that Sinclair. There is. There's a reason for that, and there. Uh, I, I don't want to go into heavy, heavy spoilers for later, like I was saying earlier, but everything that you guys are saying, both about the individual characters and especially the relationships, when you're saying you don't know who's right or who's wrong. And I'm sure that you guys saw this with the other episodes that I selected, but those relationships can flip very yep. quickly yeah. depending on who's on top and who's not and why and what they've gone through in their journey to get from like this Ruggish 3 attack to a time where maybe the Narn aren't being able to go around and attack the Centauri anymore. Mm. Well, keep that in your back pocket because before you ask us the question at the end of the episode, we'll ask you for a final push. So Uh that's kind of where you try to convince us why we should say yes. My closing arguments. Yeah, so... Uh, the only other like specific scene I wanted to call out in this episode is uh, the council scene, which is um, to me, it feels like what this show was created for, which is this sort of political jousting like uh, Straczynski has created an environment in Babylon 5 where he can tell politically ambiguous stories on an intergalactic level and just sort of throw all these different ingredients into a blender and and it's just compelling like you know obviously jimmy said that there's callbacks to star trek and and there's even some stuff in later episodes that feels star warsian uh but i feel like this scene where um the scene in the council um 
was created is why this this series was created. It feels like Straczynski threw in all these different characters and motivations into a blender just to get these compelling scenes of uh, political intrigue, basically. Jakar trying to explain why the Narn did this attack and Londo trying to call for the other planets to join him in... um, uh, what is he looking for? He's he's looking for sanctions. Sanctions, thank you, uh, against the Nard. So this scene stood out to me as really it felt like the meat of the episode. What did you guys think of that? Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, a lot of the political in- intrigue and stuff, and um, I'm always super interested in that. Like uh, Justin was kind of describing it as um, Star Trek with uh, Lord of the Rings and. Um, I could totally see the comparisons with with those two things because, like, obviously with Lord of the Rings, you get in the big uh, hack and slash battles and fights and stuff, but you also get like that little like intrigue and like the scheming, right. like trying to get everybody together. The Council of Elrond feels right, like yeah. this scene. Yeah, I could totally feel that. So, um, yeah, I, that's definitely an appeal to the show. Um, yeah, and Jeff- a couple a couple of uh, like sci fi things that I really liked in the show, aside from the politics, is the Vorlon, which is uh, they they're the fifth species that are that need an ambassador on Babylon Five, and nobody's ever seen a Vorlon, and they're kind of like mysterious right. and creepy and powerful and revered. Um, but outside of the containment suit, you see behind like this curtain uh, that it's just like a, a ball of energy, and I love that concept like sentient intangible energy creatures and i know like star trek has done it a couple times i saw it in the next generation i've seen it done before but i just love that like weird stuff because it it takes you out of like there are humanoid forms yeah like when you think about aliens or other life on other planets you know microorganisms or just like people in masks but i like the weird stuff that's really hard kind of like that movie the arrival i don't know if you saw that but it was like the yeah and i just love stuff like that in science fiction and i also like how this is you know it takes place in the future but it's our future like when he mentions that uh there's attack on pearl harbor the terrorist nuke of san diego and the first colony on mars like you're basing it in reality we all know pearl harbor and then you're bringing it to the the nuclear attack that thankfully hasn't happened (laughs) um but in this timeline it has and then moving it even further to the so it just grounds you and makes it feel more relatable and i love that in science fiction yeah. as we're as we're i'm assuming going to move away from this episode to the second one meaning from the first season to the second season mm-hmm. also um another thing that i love that you guys are picking up on is the grounding not just really of this episode but the grounding of the episode lays the foundation for the grounding of the entire series i was mm-hmm. i was way struck by how many things are placed here at the very beginning and how many of those touch points um, have other touch points or evolve in very profound ways right. through and before the end of the series. Right. Yeah. So when when we prepare like to watch episodes for this show, usually like the way I watch things chronologically is what we choose. So sometimes when we have guests and they pick things out of order, I'm like, oh, man, am I going to get the context? Am I going to understand what's <laughs> going on literally two seasons later? But then we get into the fall of night and like, sure, there were some characters I haven't seen before. There was some like small things I didn't really know was going on, but it does it does feel like the next episode. Um because you're you're still dealing with uh like the Narn and the Centauri and they're still going at it 
right the through storylines were strong enough that it felt like it could have even been like a flash forward um it didn't feel like we missed out on um details that were unavoidable uh the big change for me was the new leader of babylon 5 this captain sheridan yeah but you know there's enough table setting um the way he interacts with the rest of the crew that it's clear that he's the new head of babylon 5 did he have the swagger you were looking for in <laughs> jeff sinclair he did he he <laughs> actually you know i tried to think again i don't want to keep making star trek parallels but i think it's I would fair, do especially for the time frame this came out like this probably oh. was in response to star trek like i saw that peter david wrote an episode of bad one five i believe peter david wrote a lot of star trek novels he did he wrote Mzadi, which is one of the most popular star trek novels there's also apocryphal possibly not apocryphal the whole story that straczynski uh, tried to sell b5 to paramount first who passed on it but right around the same time they came out with another little space show called deep space nine right uh. and, and i mean that like babylon 5 deep space nine they do have that like space hub feel to it yeah so for me i was trying to place you know who does does uh sheridan remind me of is he um is he more of a Kirk? Is he more of a Picard? And interestingly, because this predates it, I kept coming back to um, Scott Bakula's character, Captain I'm Archer. Going to mm-hmm. say the exact same thing, yeah. I totally because that. Because he sort of strikes me as this middle ground between the wise intellectual <laughs> Sorry. and the brazen, you know, swaggering confidence of Kirk. Uh, I mean, uh, Justin, you've seen more of the series. Uh, do you have any comparisons? Where, where does he fall as far as uh, s- space captains in your head? <laughs> well, one of the reasons that I love talking with people about anything like this that you love is because you always get, you come away from the conversation with a new level of understanding that's given to you or gifted to you by the people you're talking with. You just compared Sheridan and Archer, which honestly I had never done before or really thought about. But as soon as you said it, I'm like, yeah, he's totally the the... We're not even Sheridan. Archer is the Star Trek equivalent of Sheridan. And if you are a diehard Star Trek fan who knows what the future held for Jonathan Archer, um, I think you will be pleasantly um, surprised by Sheridan's character arc in the show. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That excites me for the future. (laughs) So Midnight on the Firing Line was our last episode. This one is the fall of night. It's the end of season two. And and basically the overall A storyline is that um, the command crew uh, led by Captain Sheridan have agreed to give sanctuary to the last Narn warship. Apparently in the time between our first episode we watched in this episode, the Narn have been reduced to uh, intergalactic, uh, um, what would you call it? like refugees. Uh, their armies have been defeated, and there's one remaining warship that was not in range of the attacks, um, and they've moved into the sector. They need to do repairs, and they're looking for safe haven. Uh, Sheridan has agreed to give them this safe haven, and it creates an intergalactic incident, basically, um, as... Earth Force uh, has sent um, basically a peacekeeping, quote unquote, task force to Babylon 5 to engage in a non-aggression pact with uh, the Centaurians. 
So it becomes this sort of uh, incident where Sheridan and his crew know that they're, you know, possibly hindering the will of the Earth Force government, but they feel like they're on the side of the right, that Babylon 5 was created to, you know, give sanctuary to those in need and give people an equal and safe footing to, you know, treat with each other. I would also like to point out how would that happen in the course of just two seasons of storytelling where <laughs> this aggressive species has like their their knives at the throat of one. But then when you go to the end of the next season, all of a sudden the tables have turned and they're refugees now. Yeah, that, right. Yeah. That, ah, I, I really hope you guys get into the show. That's a big uh, <laughs> that's the big question for me. Uh and as we spoke about in the first episode, a lot of how we view the Centaurians and the Narn are through their ambassadors, their ambassadors. And uh, in this episode, we really see a reversal of roles in those performances. So now we've got Londo, who's got the bravado and uh, he feels the strength of the Centaurian Empire behind him as he speaks. And yeah, there's, uh, a, there's a lot of moving pieces in the 50 episodes that we skipped over yeah <laughs> also also i have to point out character growth is exemplified in almost everything that the actors and the show does londo i can't remember who said it but was like yeah he's got this weird wild hair he's stumbling around kind of like a buffoon there yeah. is a marked character change in one how peter juristic the actor behind him portrays him but also it it comes through even in how the character is put together his very kind of jestery purple coat that you saw in the first episode is now gone and replaced yes. by a, a darker much more ominous looking coat his hair it's is more, more bedazzled as well yeah yes yes <laughs> it's it's just every everywhere in the show they they really went um they really went all out with trying to use what they had to present something that was more than the sum of the parts. Yeah. I, I mean, <clears throat> for me, the A storyline is actually a little less compelling than the B storyline, which is the the Night Watch. Uh, mm, this, right. this group that we see that, that appears to originate from Earth, um, and they seem to have infiltrated the command staff of Babylon 5. And... Uh, to me, they remind me of, you know, some of the readings I've done about the, the KGB or the SS that mm. um, they're a sub, you know, subgroup within a, you know, government that has fascistic leanings and their their way of uh, basically they trade in information. They're looking for people to rat each other out, um, to betray their friends and family as far as who's not complying with uh the program basically who's not sticking with the program of ratting out people who are going against um i forget his name who the leader of the earth government is but uh i, I found this whole section really compelling this this night watch meeting what do you guys think of that <laughs> i guess it's just me um yeah i, th I thought um i i don't remember too much about this uh the b storyline because I, I guess i was so compelled by the a storyline but um yeah i mean i didn't take a whole lot of notes uh, from the show because it was just kind of like letting it wash over me um just mm -hmm. because like w with these kinds of like um uh i don't know sci-fi shows especially from like this era i just Space kind of dramas you're right yeah i just kind of like 
watch it just for like sheer value of entertainment maybe this is bad podcasting on my part but i didn't really like sit and absorb like like those storylines and stuff like i hate to say it but like i'm i'm watching it for the big like space laser fights i mean yeah, so but, but jimmy, just that but jimmy See, if you liked the third episode then <laughs> yeah yeah well that too but jimmy even even if you like that this episode had a lot more battle scenes and straight right. up politics compared to i mean we watched the gathering too yes so compared to the last <laughs> two episodes um there was a lot more battles and like the cg like we'll get into a lot of stuff that hasn't been touched yet right. but the cg in the show it's still dated, but it's not bad, right? No, like if it's you not. watch it, it with that lens of like, okay, this came out in 1993 or 4 and it was on like a weird syndicated block, like it's it's pretty good and you know, there's some there's some other scenes later on. I, I mean, if you just want me to get into it, we'll get some good with some bad. Um the scene with uh the captain in the train uh, first of all, when he's, yes. when he's in the train, there is some real bad CG. And then when he jumps out, it is laughably bad, but like amazing, like so bad it's good. Not so bad it's bad. Um, it was so funny. I had to rewind it and show my wife because like <laughs> I, I get that they're in a space station and gravity's weird and it's like cylindrical and they're on the inside of it. But when he's falling, he's just... <laughs> It's so funny when he's yeah. falling out of the train, like so slow. And he's just kind of like chilling there. And there's like close ups of his face. And he looks like Leia from The Last Jedi, uh, just floating in space. And uh, <laughs> it was just such an amazingly bad scene. But like the, the, t- as far as the story goes, it was cool because like he jumped out. There was a terrorist bomb in there. But then like but then you have to think about the show and its ambition, right? Cause it is an ambitious production as far as costuming, um, as far as prosthetics, the CG at the time, which I'm not super familiar with, but it couldn't have been cheap. Um, right. especially for the, the rumor, the rumor is that George Lucas was actually at an award ceremony and he saw footage of Babylon five CG. And that was when he knew that the technology had advanced to a point that ILM could oh, kind of okay. take that ball and improve it for like virtual sets and, mm. and prequel stuff. Phantom Menace. Oh yeah. That's pretty that's cool. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, that scene was really corny. And, and then the Vorlon, like visually hilarious. Um, <laughs> oh, come on, Jeff. It, you know, I'm going to stop you there because maybe it wasn't up to par with what we're looking for. But I, I think the idea behind well, the on, appearance of the Vorlon Dan, is Daniel, I'm, having, I'm having the Daniel, best time right now. Daniel, I said visually hilarious. Okay. And then you cut me off because I loved <laughs> what you're about to say when the Vorlon leaves a containment suit and then it appears at first you're like, oh, is it transforming? But then you realize that all the species that see it, see it as their own like Right. Messiah kind of like their own folklore hero. Yeah, and I thought I thought that was very cool. Um <laughs> yeah, that's just like going back to what I was saying about like these weird creatures and this like weird sci-fi thing going on. And that's that goes back to quantum physics. Like, is this particle reacting when you look at it or when you look away? It's it's got like real world theoretical science behind it, and it, it was just such a great idea. But the CGI angel wings were were pretty funny <laughs> well, so pretty justin, funny. I, justin i have a question for you is this in the course of the television show the first appearance of kosh the vorlon 
It is. Um, okay. I, I was not a fan when it originally aired, but I can tell you that, you know, after two months of coming home after school and watching this show, that was a big moment. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. And as I, as I said, there's a difference between micro spoilers and macro spoilers. So if for two years or two months in just in time, that's a big deal. Finding out why everyone saw Kosh differently is the bigger deal. And mm. that's where wow. that's where the payoff comes. And that doesn't come until later. But yeah, I mean, I, I did like this and there is context that it's the first time that the audience has seen it because like you're back on uh, Babylon 5 and there's different species like, no, I saw this. No, I saw this. And Londo, what did you see? I saw nothing. And That's that to me is to me. very intriguing. Like, I, I want to know why. Um yeah, that's th- those are the things I have to say about that episode. It's just throwing out there that um, you if you watch the show from episode one to the point that we're talking about right now, you have a very good idea of why Londo saw nothing. And oh, there okay. are there are touch points even with that uh, in this episode, too. You guys, it's interesting to me that none of you have talked about the C storyline in this episode yet. Oh, we're getting there. Okay. So I do want to talk about that, which I'm assuming is uh, what I refer to as the spider ships. Yeah, spider ship, <laughs> the ghost, as they called it at one yeah. point. But before we move to that, I do want to bring up one thing, which, um, you know, we've talked about how this show has uh, reckoned with um, possible comparisons to other sci-fi things like that. But one interesting tie-in with this episode that I... I don't know if everyone picked up on. Maybe I'm just a history nerd. But I noticed that uh, Lance, mm-hmm. who is the, the Ministry of Peace guy who was sent from Earth to sign this non-aggression pact with the Centurions, he uses a very particular phrase uh, when he's speaking to uh, Captain Sheridan. He says that um, by signing this treaty, there will be peace for our time. You guys pick up on the real world uh connection that he's making by saying this phrase uh no. not specifically no <laughs> it's, okay. it's, it's chamberlain prime minister yes. of great britain um, okay. in world war one yes. I'll, I'll let you continue dan i'm sorry well i mean you've got it it's neville chamberlain famously gave a speech between world war one and world war two uh where he sought to sign a, a non-aggression pact with germany um he said he was hoping for peace for our time which ended up sort of as we I, look back on that I now don't think that worked very well uh what oh you mean in the real world <laughs> yes. yeah yeah that, that's correct it did not work too well uh we look back spoilers on that, for the 20th century yeah we <laughs> yeah. look back on that now as sort of ineffectual and cowardly that um uh, it did not work out well for Great Britain. It was him basically forestalling the inevitable, and it led to the rise of the Nazi Party and the Blitzkrieg of England. So I thought it was very fascinating that Straczynski chose to use that phrase. Obviously, uh, I, I don't think necessarily it worked for everyone, uh, but for some people, it called back to. A comparison that can be made between Lance and uh, Earth's politics and the politics of Great Britain in the 1930s. That is Earth hoping to uh, sort of just calm down this intergalactic struggle and forestall the inevitable war that's on the horizon with Centauri. And or, I, or is Earth possibly uh, planning for something else? Right. Yeah. yeah. 
So I just thought that was a really interesting use of a phrase that calls back to real historical implications. And I, I wanted to just call that out. But yeah, that is uh, cool. it's interesting to me. And and then we get this scene of um, these mysterious uh, ghost ships. Jeff, why don't you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so at the beginning of this episode, we see like two pilots. And I don't know if we know who these guys are before or if they're just in this episode i would think they're just in this episode uh based on the demise of one of them at the end um <laughs> just kind of talking about like typical red this, shirt yeah this, this ship that they've seen and it's so black that your eyes slip off of it and it, it's something that they've never seen before and then throughout the episode you see little glimpses of it and that towards the end of the episode you see one of these pilots talking about that encounters it and i was it like a wormhole or some kind of yeah, it was sure. space. It was it was in um it was in hyperspace. So the way that they travel okay. in Babylon Five is they uh, um right. open they open jump points. They go into essentially like a different dimension that's shorter, yeah. and they can travel that way. It's like wormholes, portals. You know, t- typical space fare, if you will. Um, and he encounters this like weird spider looking ship, and uh, it's kind of like there's a news reporter speaking over it. Uh. Maybe it was after it. I can't remember exactly how it was portrayed, but saying that it's a new ship nobody's ever seen before. It's a, a race that nobody's aware of. And then uh, the guy like kind of melts, but they don't show it. So like he's he's being attacked in like this brutal way. Um, and we're introduced to this this new species. Um, and that was that's interesting to me. I like the mystery of that. And knowing that our next episode that we were going to watch was like another, you know, 10 or 12 episodes away, we probably weren't going to be touching on it. So I was like, oh, this tricky Justin, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he I knows that what was, he's doing. I thought that was this, pretty cool, I will... too. Uh, I was just going to say that I, I thought it was awesome how like they were talking about it, like on the news and stuff, too. And like you sort of get a feel for like how like this is like a government based thing, which definitely becomes more important in the yet in the next episode that we're going to watch. But I was like, yeah. oh, it, it's it's kind of cool how it feels like I don't know. It feels like real life, which I thought was really cool. Like it has that like touch of like reality that like if in 200 years we had like space stations out in space we'd probably be talking about the things that that they see so i thought it was cool pretty neat so uh, speaking of the next episode justin why don't you take over the lead on this one since you mentioned it's like a fan favorite maybe your favorite episode of babylon 5 and then we'll we'll jump in and give you our opinions on it Okay, uh, final episode that I selected for you guys to watch is called um, Severed Dreams. It happens right in the middle of season three. Um, if you refer back to my example of this being like a novel for television, we're right in the middle. So we're, we're right at the climax or the top of the rising action and everything's going to be downhill in a lot of ways mm-hmm. from here. And considering that the show had two and a half years left to go, I think that's pretty spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, so in this episode... Um, if you, you know, we're following along with the discussion from Midnight on the Firing Line and from the Fall of Night where we're talking about Earth and how Earth reacts to different things. There is a there's a thread that goes through all of this that is really Earth's behavior. You touched on it a minute ago when you said, like, what is Earth trying to do? Stop a war with the Centauri? Possibly something else. Um, the crew basically has to make a choice. Uh, elements like Nightwatch, which are fascist elements coming into the government, um, 
trying to do the wrong thing, allying with the Centauri, who we've established are, at this point, villains in the show. Mm -hmm. And so the crew has to make the decision to break away from Earth completely and set themselves up as an independent state because they don't agree with the way that Earth is going. And Earth, of course, isn't just going to let a five-mile-long space station do that, so they send a fleet to uh, stop it. And therein the conflict lies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought this was probably the most ambitious single episode of a sci-fi tv series i've ever seen it feels much more like a movie um yes both in its scope and also in its um i I don't even want to say just the conceit of the plot in other words the idea that this space station that was created at you know the behest of earth presumably as a you know gathering place in the galaxy this open port has now decided that they're truly truly one with uh space i don't know how to put this into words but they're they're severing their ties with earth even though you know the crew is predominantly humanoid and things like that they've decided that they are truly sentient of earth's control and they're a true uh, neutral zone. So I thought that the, the idea of doing that in the middle of your series, in the middle of a season, not a season finale, <laughs> yeah. you know, is pretty crazy to me. And I, just props to them for just taking that risk. Oh, man. I, I, I don't want to be spoilery for my, um, my answer or not, but I was like, this is literally the coolest episode of a TV show <laughs> I've ever seen. Like, it was so good. Like, Sheridan gives his, like, Independence Day speech, and I was yeah. like, oh, my goodness. Like, they're, like, literally going into that, like, the in the third season, kind of like what we're talking about. And um, it, it just got me excited for, like, what else is to come. And um, I was like, oh, man, I think he's doing it. Like, at first, I was sort of like... <laughs> At first, I was like, oh, you know, this is like a typical like sci-fi show. I like the, the little like political intrigues and stuff. But I was like, just the fact that they're going this big and this hard, like this early on into the show. Like this is like this felt to me like a series finale or right. like the episode before a series finale. An ultimate. Yeah. Just the fact that like we still have like a lot more to go. I'm like, where can this possibly go from here? The great about... thing about how you guys are responding to this part, though, right now, at least for me having seen it, is so it, by the time of Severed Dreams, which, as you said, is the middle of season three, there is so much connective tissue from that first episode to this episode right. where the moment, the momentum has built. New characters have been introduced. The situations that you guys are just now kind of being vaguely familiar with are incredibly defined and detailed. So it just pulls you in even more than these broad strokes. Right. What's impressive is at this time, sure, there were other shows uh, that did it, maybe not that many. And now we're used to serialized storytelling, shows like Breaking Bad, shows like Sopranos, where there is one story throughout. Right. Um, you know, Star Trek had, you know, has lingering themes throughout and story arcs, but not like this. Like this is especially for this time. I can't imagine watching this at, you know, 13 when this came out and like either understanding it or like <laughs> you miss a week and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. um, you know, we're, we're a little bit older now and kind of used to this kind of storytelling. But that's really impressive for the early to mid 90s to have this kind of in-depth 
storytelling especially um, for a syndicated like sci-fi show from the th- right that's what i'm saying right. like y- usually shows like that were they were hard to get off the ground in like the 2000s uh early 2000s let alone then but yeah this y- you got to give them credit for sticking to this and then just like in the middle of season three like ah Screw you guys. This is what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but basically, like, this President Clark um, seems to have basically successfully imposed... Seized control. Uh, of, yeah, yeah, seized control, a coup of, you know, Earth, and this uh, fascist shadow government. Well, I shouldn't use the word shadow because that comes into play later. Um, but there's... It feels like a coup. Uh, it happens... You know, in the dead of night, the TV stations are are taken over and um, it's this sort of bloodless war until it hits Babylon 5 and our man Sheridan decides to take a stand. He draws a <laughs> line boy. in the sand. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. He, he takes, really is. He really is my boy. I love, I love He him. takes all the swagger that he's been holding and just yeah. building up and just waiting to release upon Earth Force. And, and there's a moment where he, he gives the speech, as Jimmy said, his Independence Day speech, um, where I couldn't help but thinking, this is what Lando should have done with Cloud City back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, it was just really interesting. I, I also wondered, um, where does Londo stand in all this? Uh, we don't see him a lot in this episode. Is he no longer on Babylon 5? Uh, you, if if you decide to pick the show up, you will know... I'm trying to save things for the last <laughs> argument. I will I will say you will know definitively okay, I'll where Londo stands by the time of this episode, long before the time of this episode. Okay. okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of the internal struggle stuff that Sheridan has that leads up to this, his conversations with his father, which was, uh, I thought the casting of, uh, Sheridan's father was really genius. Um, we get, uh, Rance Howard, who's just an amazing, like character actor, you know, father of Ron and Clint Howard. I thought that performance was really strong about like, you know, Sheridan basically saying in, in these veiled undertones, like, Hey, if I do what I'm about to do, there might be pushback. You guys might be in jeopardy. And his father is like, listen, like you do what's I watch right. the news. You have, yeah. you know. Yeah, he's like, I know what's going on. I know the decisions you're faced with. And we raise you to do what's right. And and we've got friends here and we'll be okay. And I, I just thought that was a really powerful scene of the ramifications of standing up for, you know, your beliefs and, and uh Again, to cast a strong actor in that role for what I imagine was a a moderately successful TV show. They got picked up by TNT, but they're not on a network. They're not burning up. I, I wouldn't imagine they're burning up the ratings charts at this time. And and just it was really smart for this little two scene piece to cast Rance Howard. I what did, did you guys read, think of that stuff? Uh, real, real quick aside, I did read that this was not syndicated from like 2003 to 2018, which is pretty crazy um but yeah i did really like that scene and another scene i like that complemented that was the and and it was kind of corny like old-timey tv uh writing but i still loved it is when his jacket was on the chair and the other guy was like aren't you gonna need that and he was like not yet pretty much you know like i I Um, can't put that on until yeah and i was like yo this character is so cool (laughs) that that is actually the payoff to a um it's a callback slash payoff to something that happens a few episodes earlier 
Nice. There you go. I mean, I, oh. as you said, it seems like everything's here for a reason. Jimmy, you you were talking about enjoying watching the lasers. There's a lot of lasers. <laughs> Dude, you are well, so what's, right. What's your take on the battle sequences? I think the battle sequences are great. I mean, like, everyone kind of makes fun of, like, Star Trek with, like, all their fighting and, like, all of their, um like, space battles. Slow-moving barges. Right? Everything is super slow. But, like, this felt like Star Wars, man. Like, it was so, like, fast. Like they had like yeah. the fighters out there in space. And, this like, was it felt and, really th- and cool. this this had like close ups of like the big guns and you know turrets on the spaceships. Right. And I think the CGI there was a lot better. And that reminds that's it. It feels like a precursor to Battlestar Galactica or even like Firefly, even though it was only one season. Mm-hmm. Um, it felt a lot like those shows. Yeah, and and yeah. also you you also felt like the importance of like this fighting and stuff too because of all the build up and it's like all right we're going to be claiming our independence and they're going to try and take this away from us and it's like yeah we have to do that in the real world too so like we have to uh, make sure we we uh, take a stand for what we believe in and uh, I thought it was just yeah really I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna actually go back to Justin's comparison of Lord of the Rings to me this mm-hmm. is uh, the Battle of Helm's Deep. This is the last stand (laughs) and all these characters that we've built a connection with are now, uh, like I said, they're drawing a line in the sand and they're saying like, Hey, this may be a losing battle, but we have to stand our ground. Right. And as the battle of Helm's deep, we got Gandalf sweeping in at the last moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was the, the Mimbari showing up to save the day. And that was just so like such an emotional payoff. I mean, uh, uh, we get a little bit more in the gathering than we did in these three episodes um, about right. the Mimbari and the conflict between the Mimbari and Earth. Uh, but, Justin, if you could speak on how big of a deal it is that the Mimbari. Um, well, there's this scene where uh, I think her name is Delon. Delon. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but where she confronts the Grey Council who are like. The, the religious and political leaders of the Mimbari and convinces them to sweep in and sort of give aid to Babylon 5. In the course of this show, how big of a deal is this sequence? Uh, it's, it is a big deal um, and still navigating spoilers for other things that come before this. Yeah. I will say for, for the characters and the, the integrity of the story of the show itself, it is a big deal. Mm. Um, Delenn's actions with the Grey Council are a bigger deal. Um, and again, when I talk about laying traps for you guys to fall into, um, this is this is not the largest uh, space battle on Babylon Five, nor the most varied or the longest. Wow. Yes. They do yes. they do way yes. better than Severed Dreams. <laughs> Severed Dreams pew, battle pew, is propelled pew. by the emotion, but if you're looking for the pew pew, dude, like. I'm always looking for the pew pew. Jimmy, if we titled our episodes, this one would be looking for the pew pew. Yeah, agreed. Um, In all the right places. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. So So uh, uh, do you guys have any like overall thoughts of uh, what we what we watched? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, we've said a lot of stuff, but. Even from the gathering, like you just can see instantly how ambitious this show is. Um, there's a lot of practical effects, a lot of costuming. There's big sets. Um, a lot of them are reused, you can tell, which is right. fine. Um, and the CG, I mean, like, I didn't know that it was as advanced at the time. I knew that, I know that it's dated. I still enjoy it. I, I didn't think that it was like 
bad but like for its time especially like justin just said this inspired george lucas to uh go ahead with the prequels um and i i think that the ambition was really really good because like I, I got a lot to say maybe i'll save it till after I, don't know. <laughs> I, I do have another question for the three of you um the thing about Babylon 5, one of the things that I love uh, that I love about this show is that every season has a different opening sequence that updates the story just a little bit. Yes. And by the time season one and two are very expository in nature because they're still establishing season right. three is like you are either with us or you're not. So, yeah, yeah let's go. <laughs> um, how did you guys find the progression of that? Because if you're watching these three episodes in succession, I like. How did how does that how does that work when you haven't seen the show before? To be honest, I skipped the intro for the second oh. episode. No, um, <laughs> I thought it was the same. But then the third one, I just let go. And then they had like the character title cards. And I was like, oh, this is so 90s. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure if um, perhaps like some of the narration over that changed episode to episode because we got an episode from each season or if it was season long, but I definitely found it uh, fascinating how, yeah, I mean, I think it just speaks to the transformative nature of the series that it's, it's not going to fall back on the same themes. So that opening, um, you know, opening section, it has to evolve because it's not the same show. It was in earlier seasons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought it was indicative of the actual, like, the because i believe each season just from like a quick wikipedia search is like it sort of seems like each season has like a sort of theme that it goes along with each season is actually titled right um, right so yeah yeah like chapters and, in a book and isn't each season one year yes in the story okay yeah so you're looking at five years of story yep yeah take I that mean, jack bauer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i i think uh as Jeff was saying, the scope of the series is impressive. Uh, I think even the constraints of the time period um, within those constraints, the, the series was done pretty well. Like I know some of the remastered stuff was a little iffy, but just the fact that HBO Max was willing to take that on because I'm assuming the show was filmed on VHS. I know that was a big struggle with right. the remastering of uh, the next generation, generation stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a lot at that time, a lot of those special effects were not saved. Um, I, I think within the constraints of the time period, the show looks pretty good. Um, the writing is way ahead of its time, in my opinion. Just yeah. the morally ambiguous characters, uh, the plot threads that are carried through. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty impressive. The scope of this thing feels like a collection of films or, you know, anthologies, like a cinematic universe rather than one standalone TV series, which I found to be pretty impressive. Nice. Um, I guess my overall thoughts pretty much is like, uh, I don't think we really talked a lot about like the sets and like, I mean, we talked about the CGI and stuff, but like, I love the Babylon five, man. I think it's such a cool idea. It's like this, like floating, like, I mean, they call it a state when they call it an independent state, but, um, like this five mile long thing where like people are just like living, they have different environments for the different alien civilizations. Um, mm. there's, um, it, it, it sort of feels like rustic like it doesn't feel like clean like star trek like um everything is shiny like it, it feels feels a little bit more like doctor who in my opinion like early 2005 2006 doctor who where like everything feels mm -hmm. like um sort of Very like tactile yeah sort of like oh man together. And, 
watching the gathering there were some scenes when i was like this looks like it was filmed on a doctor who set even like the way that the cameras were static (laughs) agree and just like the lighting it was really reminiscent of like 80s bbc yeah like i loved um i think in the gathering they showed like the helm and stuff like where uh people like pilot the ship and i was like this looks like a straight up doctor who set and i was like oh this is pretty cool (laughs) um and i definitely appreciate that because that's pretty nostalgic for me and uh things like that but yeah i agree with uh the writing i think it is way ahead of its time i've never seen anything like this from this time era and um it's it's just very interesting to like it seems like he knew where he was going from the very beginning and i always appreciate Mm. that in a in a show because that means it has a clear ending that he has in mind and it's not going to go places where he doesn't want it to go and like he has a clear direction and um yeah that yeah i also is very exciting i also want to just sort of shout out um how grounded the series feels in terms of its political the handling of its political issues in other words um the idea that this is a neutral zone where ambassadors get together and just sort of hash it out feels very much like united nations in space um but i also appreciate that they don't enter they don't overwhelm us with like hundreds of worlds and hundreds of characters there's obviously like these core players uh they feel like you know um uh, you know the the main players the centauri the The earth the narn the mimbari so it it's nice that they focus on them but we also get to see the greater council you know meeting to have these votes and i just think it's a fun like a fun way to handle the intergalactic intrigue that would be present in other words uh, you know with star trek the original series so much of it is is shown through the prism of like jimmy said the prime directive and right. uh you know starfleet and and how things affect earth and um yeah i, I made a call back earlier but I feel like Star Trek Enterprise, which is a series I loved, was very heavily influenced by Babylon 5 after seeing these episodes. Yeah, I would 100% um, agree. And I'm probably going to, even if I wasn't talked into it, I'd probably recommend it to my dad, who was a really big Enterprise fan. Um, yeah. So um, That's awesome that you guys are Enterprise fans. That's yeah. not something that you hear every day. Like, respect. Yeah, I think yeah. it's very underrated. But um, Yeah, agreed. So anyways, I I think we're at the point now where, Justin, uh, you can give us your last push and then sort of pose the question to us. All right. Well, let's first talk about the bad of Babylon 5. And I say (laughs) bad in quotes. Yeah. So essentially, these are the things that any new viewer, yourselves included, obviously, are going to have to get past in order to fully appreciate the show. The CGI is dated, even remastered. Unless they do a full CGI refresh on this show, it is never going to like rise to the level of like the the DS9 footage in that what we left behind documentary or even the Star Trek Next Generation remaster. And honestly, the will is probably not there. So this is probably the best Babylon 5 is ever going to look. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of the dialogue is a little dated. It was written in the 90s. It feels a lot in the early seasons, one and two, like one of those early 90s sci-fi shows when somehow, I think, because of the Star Trek popularity around the world, everyone thought that sci-fi was a goldmine and just make whatever. Gene Run, Barry's Earth, Final Conflict, Babylon. <laughs> right. It's it, it looks like one of those shows when you start watching it, but it is not one of those shows. Um that's honestly, I think, the worst that you're going to to find in the show. But I think 
it becomes great as you proceed through the show. It becomes part of the charm and the storylines, the acting, the 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 story, not just storylines, but that central story is so compelling that I think Babylon Five honestly is the most bingeable show ever created. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a, a lot of things that you guys are picking up on as you were discussing the show um, are already connected and you already have a lot of the story heading into to where we are in severed dreams. Um, a lot of the things, interestingly enough, that you called out as being like, I don't know about this part. A lot of that stuff is there intentionally and is paid off in amazing way later on in the show. This is one of my favorite shows to introduce people to, to get their reactions. Um, and everyone begins to feel that ramping up of angst as we get to Severed Dreams. Uh, I famously showed this to a girlfriend once. And when we started season three, when the when the music kicked in, she started saying, we have to skip the intro because it's just making me too nervous for all of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know you've got somebody on a show. Right. Um, and, and honestly, if you're looking for the pew pew, there are tons of these in here to the point. If you liked it that much, if you even if I don't sell you on this show, I will make a list for you and send them to you. So you know where to go for your space battles as a secondary way of hooking you. Um, it's a fantastic show. It won't take you long to, to finish it, but it'll give you so much more than you have to put into it. So I pose the question to you, gentlemen, have I talked you into Babylon 5? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was a little nervous starting it. Um, it felt a little dated and stuff like that, but I would say halfway through Midnight on the Firing Line, I was like, oh, this is good. And then we try to keep our opinions for the podcast, but just from like some of the, you know, Jeff was saying like he was, you know, taking a little while to get into it. And then there was the, you know, the issue of uh, whether or not we should be watching The Gathering. I was nervous about what the other guys would say, but I was like, I am in for this. Yeah, I mean, when we were texting, uh, just the three of us, I was just frustrated because The Gathering was tough. (laughs) It was tough to get through. Um, I didn't hate it, but I was like, oh man. And like, I waited till the day before to finish. So I would be like fresh and we have four other episodes we're working on and, you know, uh, personal life. But yeah, I, at the end of it, I was like, all right, I'm a yes. But then as we were talking, I became more of a yes. I was yeser (laughs) than I was uh, before. (laughs) And sometimes like that, that happens in the show where I'm a no and we, it turns into a yes while we're talking about it. But yeah, just uh hearing especially like dan's perspective he he dug really deep into some of this and hearing uh justin talk about the things i was interested in like oh yeah you're gonna know all this this stuff's connected like yeah it's 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 a yes well like the conceit of the show says justin did a good job talking us into it yeah jimmy what are your uh final thoughts yeah i definitely agree um i was sort of in the same boat as jeff where i was like yeah this is pretty cool but then like as we're talking about it i'm definitely more talked into it um I totally I mean, even so I thought I thought Jimmy was going to be a no because when we got on this call before Dan even hopped on Jimmy sounded like he was dead he was like hey, what's up in, in context then, I I had very little sleep and I got home at 3 a.m. last night but, and then um, he's like oh, oh wow. I can't, can't wait to talk about this I was like oh he's going to be the first no we've given a guest and it's going to be so good no I mean at, at my heart I, I'm at my heart I'm such a sci-fi kid like I I loved I love the the pew pews. I love the intrigue. I love all the characters in the show and like just the way they're all interwoven and um just the fact that like seems like everything is super planned out. 
um i was i was definitely a shoe in yes um and I, i'm definitely looking forward to just sitting down and consuming it because i i have kind of a hard time I, i'm a great host of a podcast but i have a hard time sort of contextualizing. <laughs> i have a very hard time contextualizing different things that we watch for the show and especially stuff that i'm not super familiar with because like yeah of course like there's sci-fi stuff and like i'm not super great at talking about sci-fi stuff because there's all these different races and we have the different um uh sides of different things and like i could talk about a comedy show real easy i'd be like haha alana glazer said poop um like uh, <laughs> uh like i don't know but um so yeah this was definitely uh just sitting down and watching it i was thoroughly enjoying it more than like analyzing it and um yeah. that's what i'm looking forward to watching it is that i can just sit down and watch it, of it right and uh, like Justin said, this is very bingeable, and um, I could totally see myself blasting through a season in a few days. Yeah, it also Th- feels this like... show is basically a big Chekhov's gun yes. repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like a grown-up sci-fi show. Like I, I'm not going to sit down with my nine-year-old who's a huge you know Star Wars fan and pop this on because there's moments where she'll be bored or confused. Right. But it sort of reminds me of like. West Wing or House of Cards in space, which right. is something that I can appreciate. And there's no Kevin Spacey, so that's really good. <laughs> you don't have to worry good. about that. Yeah, <laughs> there's no Kevin Spacey battles. Right. There is. There is Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen shows up in one of the TV movies. So oh, wow. does he have a lot of yeah. prosthetics on his face? The pres- President Bartlett does not look good in Soul, um, in River of Souls, which is the movie. But also, Ian McShane, who's one of my favorite actors, is oh, also yeah. in it. So it's it's interesting to watch that from that perspective. But if y'all oh, yeah, don't watch awesome. River of Souls, you're okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Justin, I think you did a fantastic job talking us into Babylon 5. This is one of my favorite guest episodes we've ever done. Oh, yeah. And you did a, oh, well, you, you did a great job picking these episodes, too. Like, uh, I always get nervous, like Jeff was saying before, about, like, episodes that are out of order and stuff. But, like, you picked a fantastic, like, little arc about, like, especially, like, grounding it back to us, too, and talking about, like, Earth and how, like, there's a big coup. And, like, we literally just went through something like that that was very similar <laughs> not that long ago. Mm-hmm. And it's very relatable. And um, I thought you did a great job of picking those episodes. No, I appreciate it. You guys did a great job on prep, like listening to your episodes um, previously. It's a it's a good way to know kind of how to structure the discussion. The, the and you, the format and idea behind your podcast is fantastic. No, thank you. Yes, uh, it thanks. is. Thank you. Thank you. My idea. <laughs> yeah, you wish. Well, I think I'm an excellent podcast host. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a very good podcast yeah. host. Yeah. Well, I think there's there's probably hopefully some Justin fans who are tuning in for him and have ha, will continue to check us out, but. Justin, for our fans who have enjoyed your discussion, where can people find your work online? Uh, I am all over the social medias um, at Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, M Bolger, B-O-L-G-E-R. And uh, I talk a lot. And you've got some uh, some cool stuff, as you mentioned, coming out with Asmodee. And people can find that. I'm sure you have a social media account for them. Uh, we do, um, but because Asmodee owns a lot of different studios, I think that the studio that everyone listening to this show would be the most into, or two, would be Fantasy Flight Games, which is fantasyflightgames.com, or online at FFG, or I'm sorry, FFG Aims, so FF Games, um, and then also Atomic Mass, which is cool. Atomic Mass Games, and they are the makers of uh, all the miniatures and the Marvel Crisis Protocol game. Nice. Do you have any other projects coming up uh, that you want? want to uh, plug or should we just follow you on the socials 
Yeah, the socials is good. I really appreciate offering the space, but right now it is just relax and to get through life and make sure that um, Stay I healthy. can go outside and be crazy after all this is over. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we definitely appreciate you having having you on, and um, we should definitely have you on again, and we can talk you into something. That'd be awesome. Oh, <laughs> that would be that would be cool. You should also, if you have not had this episode yet, having back, I would love to sell you guys on a show called Banshee on Cinemax if you hadn't watched it before. Oh, I've heard good things about that. It also just hit HBO Max, and I'm heavily considering a rewatch. Nice. <laughs> so in the meantime, uh, Jeff, yes. our next episode, you're going to be talking us into something. I am going to be talking you guys into the local band, Dropkick local. Murphys. <laughs> the local band? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're in New England. They're, they're a New England band. <laughs> okay. <you know. laughs> How about the uh, mythical level Celtic punk band? <laughs> that's that's one way to say it, yes yeah. uh yeah so uh, we'll get more into it next week but it's a band that i've loved for a long time and i think dan uh has some exposure to them not sure yeah. what your exposure to it jim is but uh you know we're 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 recording in it's basically march so you know it's, <laughs> the, the season is upon us to listen to some dropkick murphy's cool are you gonna bring a pot of gold <laughs> No, Dan, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, where can people find the podcast online? People could find us at TalkMeIntoo.com. If you're a weirdo that still goes to websites, uh, you could find us on Twitter at TalkMeIntoo, on Instagram at TalkMeIntoPod. You could follow our Patreon at Patreon.com slash TalkMeIntoo. I'm not Why do you sound you guys, so sad and confused? I'm telling you. I'm telling you, please. You can videos. possibly give us money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's please, great. I feel bad chilling. You know, like, give us money, though. Come it's on. It's not. You know. There's a lot of good content on there. There is. Yeah, there's videos of us cooking food, which people love now. Food shows are huge. There's <laughs> old audio projects, like, from the last 20 years of our lives. Uh, you know, we did a show on it, our music episode there's a lot of good stuff up there we do have videos on youtube as well you could find us there by searching talk me into jimmy where can people find you personally on the internet you can find me at son of a fitch s-o-n-n-e-v-a-f-i-t-c-h on twitter instagram and youtube and justin seems to be a fan of that and that's the purpose and uh dan where can people find you online I'm predominantly on Twitter at Danny underscore breakdown. You can also check out my band uh, on Instagram under the name old underscore dogs. That's old with an E like the old English version. Jeff, how about you personally? People can find me on Twitter at J-E-F-F-F-F-F-27. That's Jeff with five Fs, the number 27. And on Instagram at Magic the Clippening, where I post pictures of magic cards uh, being held by people with gross fingernails, which is a weird thing that I do. Uh, thank you for listening to Talk Me Into. Thank you very much for joining us, Justin. Thank you very much for having me. This was a lot of fun. What will we talk you into next? Damn, up to do, Boston. Do a bagpipe impression, Dan. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Very cool. Who is a very accomplished social media and marketing person, and uh, we'll tell you more about some of his credits right now. What if Dan just busted out like this well-produced pre-recorded thing, like like an audio resume for him? I was actually going <laughs> to yeah. say more then, but then I realized that I don't have his uh, actual job title in front of me. 
because for some reason linkedin won't let me even pull it up like should we stop well, recording? That, yeah you need to have an account yeah we can stop recording that was the fastest intro we've ever done dan you dropped out uh-oh he was so overcome with emotion at the show <laughs> that he he had to pause Hold on, I'm pulling up my notes. They're kind of disorganized. <laughs> <laughs> well, pulling right from Wikipedia, uh, it, it. Hold on, Dan, you take this over. Okay. I'm, I am so lost right now. I'm sorry.